0: Welcome back, friends, to It's Just Art, everyone's toolkit for artful conversations. My name is Christine Staten, my co-host is El Clause, and we're going to continue our conversation on what is art history. So let's jump right back in. Uh, I'm laughing because an I do act spoiler, spoiler alert, I do know what the
1: next question is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I want to know on an emotional level how you re- react to this, this question. Um, so, Christine, what... Do art historians do all
0: day? So how how am I going to respond on an emotional level? Or you want to know on an emotional level how I'm going to respond?
1: I I want to know know how you are responding emotionally to this (laughs) question. Is there another rage in our future? No, there's no rage. No, no, there's no rage. I may have exhausted myself, honestly. No,
0: I could never exhaust myself, please. There's always something that will come up next. i'm just giggly at this question because I, I absolutely fair. love it um and it gets back to what we were talking about yeah okay you're a doctor i a lawyer i can kind of figure out so what do you what do, you all do. Day? you're a police officer okay i understand i can kind of understand the mechanics of that of about that yeah the historian again is this very foreign kind of stuffy sort of i, I picture this like stuffed tweed jacket with the like, glasses and a
1: pipe you know like oh (laughs) undoubtedly the brushwork on this is magnificent oh yeah it's quite bad. um
0: but let's say you know people who have let's say PhDs in art history Mm -hmm. who are bona fide art historians they do a lot of different things a lot of times they're university professors a lot of times they're museum curators um they work in other areas of museums maybe they work in fundraising or they work in collections management where they kind of keep track of where the artwork is. Um, art historians do a lot of different things. So if you're a university professor, just to kind of keep with, in the interest of keeping it simple, mm-hmm. let's think of this kind of archetype example of what an art historian is. Let's say you're a university professor. So you teach young students uh, and older students, you probably teach people doing their undergraduate, their masters, and maybe even people who are working on their own PhDs. You, you teach them and advise them on their academic work and then you probably do a lot of research of your own, you, uh, which is research is professionally asking questions, which I would like to, uh, as, as I would like to, uh, describe yes. it and try to find the answers to those questions so that you read a lot and you talk a lot and write a lot, you rewrite a lot. So it's, you know, picture a teacher and, um, kind of thing is that is that a good answer whatsoever
1: yeah no i i think that that pretty much sums it up i honestly don't have much and we can talk later if
0: people are interested in hearing more about what museum curators do and what registrars do maybe we can even call up some of our friends and say could you give us
1: yeah no i think tell us about your job i think that's a great segue to say um if you know in listening to this podcast a question occurs to you that um you've always wanted to know about art history or art or anything in this realm of topics that we have been discussing today or that we will discuss in the future, please, please reach out to us. Um, we have and we have various ways that you can reach us. Um, ask us those questions and um, we we will we will endeavor to answer them. Um, do we know everything? No, but we also know, know how nothing. to do, yeah, I know nothing. Yes, uh, that's, that's kind of our motto. We know nothing, but we're, we're, we're open to learning. Um, we're trying. we're trying, but no, um, you know, if we don't know the answer to whatever question it is that you have, we are really good at, res- uh, at research. Our cruise director is excellent at research. Um, and, uh, we, we know people we have connections to people who know more than we do on certain things. And we're kind of a big deal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just and- trying to an get Anchorman in there. Is- <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but, you know, if we, if we can't find, if we don't know the answer to the question, we will endeavor to find it. Um, because, hey, we probably, if we don't know it, we probably would like to know it. So, yeah. you know, so what's our what? email?
0: L. Uh, about- our
1: email is it's just art podcast at gmail.com
0: no apostrophe,
1: no apostrophe. It's all just one word. It's just makes me grammatically rage. (laughs) I know, but such is the world of making email accounts. Mm -hmm. Um, we also have, you know, a Facebook and and an Instagram. Uh, so you can find us on social media at it's just art podcast. Any of those locations are excellent ways Mm -hmm. to reach out to us and ask those questions. Um, we're even considering creating a, uh, voicemail, like that you could call in and leave messages. If there, if that's an interest, uh, let us know. Um, we can can endeavor to create that as well, because we are here to answer questions and to search out information and to, to do all that stuff. So please reach out to us and let us know what you're curious about. Um,
0: what do we have next? So what kind of artworks do we look at and
1: Mm. what are we looking for? So I think the easiest way to start off this explanation is to, to remember that it depends on the situation. We talked about specializations, et cetera. Um, so if we're talking, in order to answer this, if we're talking about like, what do you look like, look at like career wise, like if that's like, what's your job? Like, what are you doing looking at? Like, that's one answer. Um, what? what artworks do you look at because you want to go see some art like that's a whole other conversation <laughs> and it and, and oh, has, yeah. has
0: its own I mean own how many start. people did we encounter coming into the museum who say I want to look just at, at it was always impressionism X you know they're thing, like but, just yeah. take me to we should I, mean, I need a whole other episode to talk about that but, <laughs> but
1: that's yeah. a whole other topic it, it totally um, depends on the context it totally depends on the context on. right but I worked I, I I sort of prepped this answer with with the guise of I'm an art historian, what do I do job? Like, that's how I understood this question. Um, mm-hmm. This is not what this, I think this question came from one of our uh, family members or friends. Um, yes. Rather than <clears throat> something we've been asked a lot. Yeah, so this was a, this was a solicited question. Yeah. Um, so if, if you're an art historian working um, say in a museum uh, as a curator, um, what you could do is be working on prepping a show. If you're a researcher, you would be looking um, at work trying to uh, further your understanding of that work or the time period or whatever question it is that you're after answering, right? Uh, so depending on what context, if you're a professor, you're looking at something trying to you know, figure out how you're going to explain the topic of the day to, to your class. Um, so whatever perspective you're coming from will influence uh, why you look at something, what you look at and how you look at it, right? Um, so, from, but, but I did compile a, a list of kind of general questions that art historians tend to ask when looking at a work of art, because it would be broad if you just said artwork in general, because as we said, There's a lot of things that fall under that category. So I compiled this list of questions based on what you might ask looking at a painting, um, just to have a general jumping off point. Um, So uh, one of the questions you're probably gonna ask is how old is it? Uh, Because that gives us a lot of context for a lot of the other questions we're gonna then ask. Um, And some things that help us kind of come to that answer is physical evidence, like what materials were used in order to make that art, to make that painting. Um, What style is the painting in? Like, uh, you know, what what images are depicted therein? Um, You might look at documentation about the artwork, like is there a historical record of this work that you can trace like ownership, uh, who made it, that sort of thing. Um, documentation can be looked at. And, and so if you see an art historian looking at a big stack of papers, uh, that's that's usually what they're trying to sort through is like letters uh, that say, I gifted this to someone or something like that. Um, then there's of course internal evidence within the, the painting itself, like put there by the artist trying to tell us stuff. Um, and, and so all of these different pieces can be put together. Like what, uh, you, you might even test the paint to, to see like um, what, you know, how, can, there are different tests that can be done that can help you kind of get a, a, an age range on the paint, like how long it's been there, what's been done to it, what, what the different um, materials are, like do they have a, is there a gloss layer, is there you know, what, what materials were used in the creation of the paint itself, um, that sort of thing. Uh, but also even um, looking at, for, for in, in the context of a painting, you, you would potentially look at the frame of the painting um, and what materials were used to create that frame. Does that pay frame, time the timeline of the frame match up with the f- the timeline of the painting, or is this frame potentially put on at a different time period? So there's, there's different things that you would look at in context of just the physicality of the painting itself to try to help you determine like how old it is and, and, what, that, and th- what that age tells us. Um, then from there, you can also ask stuff like, the, you, you look more at the style. Um, and in looking at the style, what you're looking at is a period style for example, which refers to uh, the span of time and specific region or location that that is made in, right? Um, so commonly in certain areas at a certain period of time, artwork tends to look like X. You would see these types of, I'm trying to think of an example, I don't have one off the tip of my tongue, but that's just a kind of general idea, right? Like these things tend to equal these things is, is kind of how that, um, then you would look at more specifically at regional styles within that. So like you can then specialize even further from the big period of style into a regional style. If you're looking in Italy, for example, like Christine would tend to do, you can then focus in on, okay, different areas of Italy tend to, to use different things, different materials in this way or different uh, styles of expression in this way. Um, and, and, and personal style, you'd also look at like if you think this specific artist has done it, what is your knowledge from that artist's style? Um, and keeping in mind that an artist's style could change throughout time in in in, in how they make their work. You know, uh, that's a common thing, especially now. Like an artist grows as the more they work, their kind of their their style develops and changes. Um, But that's
0: that's been happening for a long time, though. If you look at Michelangelo's early work compared to his latest work, like especially, I mean, I have to be careful about using Michelangelo as an example for anything, because he's so unique, and one of the things that makes him so unique. And intriguing as an artist is because he had such a long career. Yes, because he lived so long. Um, but the but other thing to keep in mind—it's an is, easy thing to remember.
1: Yeah. yeah. But the other thing to keep in mind is that, um, especially in historical art, you would have students learning from teachers, so their style would vary greatly, especially yes. as they're learning, reflect the style of their teacher, um, and and then either they would continue to work in their workshop to to help the teacher um, as just part of their workshop creating art or they would then branch out on their own and create their own workshop and develop differences in their own style that way Um, because if they were working in their teacher's workshop Mm -hmm. that they needed to Uh
0: workshops are something that we can talk if anybody's interested please write it to us and I'd be happy to do to do something an an episode on workshops workshops they're fascinating to me oh so Um, much
1: fun I'll give you a reading list (laughs) yay (laughs) um so yeah so uh you you would then kind of um and and yeah I think that's something we can explore further just in and of itself is what's the difference in like how has art changed and what what the importance in that is um like the understanding of art, how has that changed over time and, and what, what the purpose was art of art? Um oh, yeah. but anyway. that's
0: something we're gonna get into.
1: Oh yeah, that, that'll be art has quote unquote art has changed. But anyway, yeah. let's keep going. <laughs> uh, moving on to uh, to but yeah, no, so um so personal style, a, a signature, so to speak, um, and and actually did they sign their work? That would be another indication, right? Um, so we are, you know, we really study like, is this signature the actual signature of of this person? Um uh and then like what's the subject matter of like what are we seeing in here um what is there a story is there a narrative um the the, the image that we're seeing here is this a still life is that because there's different there's different styles of art right so there's uh still lights there's um action paintings there all the different terms there's a lot of landscape landscape portraits landscapes there's a lot of different options for that right so um you know is is there an action taking place in this is there time in like and actions time period or 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 space like are we looking at um you know a a specific narrative um from a larger story or are we looking at um you know a a bowl of fruit uh as Mm -hmm. a study you know there's a there's a lot of different changes within what that could be actually looking at um, but then who's involved what are the environmental take you know what what's the genre that we're examining um, and from there we take that into one of Christine's favorite words iconography yay
0: <laughs> and this is where it gets very Dan Brownie hmm because iconography let me just give take two seconds to say it's the symbolisms in the painting also the guy in the da Vinci code a symbologist is not a thing you're a symbolist so that's nonsense but this is not not what this is about but so this is where you get into these questions of like why is this particular flower in this vase on the table that kind of so
1: iconography in its fairest definition is basically the writing of images what is the language of images you could say um And, and so a a large portion of that is, as Christine said, um, symbols, like what this image of a skull means this thing in this time period, um, versus, you know, being depicted at another time period there, are they have, they can think a specific image can mean something differently and can hold a a different meaning depend on the time period or the place that it was put into an
0: artwork it's context
1: context 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 context,
0: yes it's like real estate Um,
1: location 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 yeah uh attributes do you want to take a shot at the at defining attributes
0: sure well attribution is actually a really interesting topic because that's what early art history was yeah when you look at the developments of art history as a field as we know it today which has foundations in the mid to late 19th century so during the victorian era um it art historians but they're really more called art critics Mm -hmm. I don't think they were really called art historians as of yet but there was a the greatest concern in the scholarship of art history was attributions or what we call connoisseurship Mm -hmm. which meant that you would look at a painting and you knew enough to be able to look at let's say a painting because we're on this example and decide if it was painted by a specific artist or figuring out who it was painted by and roughly when so that's why the art historians kind of first two two or three questions are what is it subject matter mm-hmm. who did it the attribution and when did they do it which is mm-hmm. really just that that's not the historical context that's it? that's yeah. the date yeah. those are the kind of the three main things we want to know yeah. first and we often and those three questions lead to a lot of other questions mm-hmm. and what happens is we often don't know one of those the answers to one of those three questions At least and one that's, of those, yeah. that's when
1: we start having fun <laughs> Um, and then, and then from there, um, also per- personifications, right? Like, is there a specific person depicted in, in that work? Um, and, and does that information help us further the information, right? Like, um, there are uncountable numbers of paintings of Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> I literally cannot, there's, there's no way to count them. There's too many to count um but that doesn't mean that there isn't information held within that by the style the way that Jesus is depicted right mm-hmm. or the story that's being depicted or the materials used to depict him you know mm-hmm. um but because what's Im-
0: if I can interject for just a second yeah. because what's important and I almost said when talking about more historical art but it's probably even more true today when we talk about contemporary mm-hmm. art true. is that when you create an artwork on purpose it's Mm -hmm. difficult so when we live today if you want to capture an image we can literally just pull out our phone and take a photo that's easy if you're going to go to the trouble of having a painting made Mm -hmm. there are a lot of decisions that are going to go into
1: yeah
0: what that painting looks like
1: and so yeah yeah um so who's who's like but is there so this kind of leads the personification also kind of leads into the other two major questions that get asked um which are who made it kind of touched on that briefly before but um who made it is it is exceedingly important because that tells us if we can identify correctly who made the artwork that tells us where they lived how like information that we have documentation on a lot of different artists and the information about that artist can tell us a lot of information about what went into making it what what was needed, et cetera, um, or, or why it exists at all. Um, or and, and help us answer a myriad of potential questions that a researcher might be endeavoring to answer. Absolutely. Did you, um, did you get into patronage yet? You said who oh no, it. that was that's that's so that the final the final I'm sorry to get ahead of you. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to you're doing such a
0: beautiful job, but I'm just trying to stay with you.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but the so the final the final piece of of just like most important questions, especially for more historic pieces of artwork. Um it's still it's still important today, but uh people make art today that just to make art. So there's yeah. whereas back before uh, back in his more historical times, um who paid for it, who commissioned this artwork, yeah. who's Making art for the sake of making it wasn't a thing until the 19th century. No, it was a job. You, did, it you was didn't a, just
0: make something. It was a trade. people's
1: minds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah. You, but you could so, be a blacksmith. Uh, you could be a baker. You could be the town artist. Like it was a job you trained to do. Um, and, and we'll get
0: into that more when we talk about how art, the conceptions of art have changed over time. I just wanted to mention it because I love no, yeah. it. No. And, yeah.
1: And who... <laughs> who paid for it especially in older works is so important of question to answer because that gives you a context for why was this created yeah why why did we want who who bought it who who asked for it to be made was was behind the existence of it at all because it would not have existed if someone didn't say i want a portrait of my wife or i want a to show all my neighbors how holy I am how with the church I am by commissioning a piece for the altar at our local church mm-hmm. uh, and a uh, thing to go about or my uh, I'm
0: trying to get my daughter married so yes. let's paint a portrait okay. of her to send it
1: or, around you know, the, hundreds, yeah,
0: yeah you know again L- a little, little portraits yeah
1: those would often be little little tiny portraits that would get sent to yeah right
0: it to, depends to on the context thing. obviously yeah um, um but yeah, yeah. so
1: uh th- that adds a lot of context to why why the work um and it can also help with personifications right so if someone commissions oftentimes you'll see in religious artwork um if someone commissioned the work they will often be depicted um like as one of the kneelers worshiping at the at you know yeah. Jesus I court.
0: love this I'll put when we um I'll pull up some really fun images to post uh, later
1: that'd be great Excellent. but yeah
0: context the context is what I find endears a lot of people Mm -hmm. to art history people really like the story behind certain artworks and those those stories come from the patron and the relationship between the patron and the artist which is always endlessly fascinating because it's always Mm -hmm. different um, there's a painting I love in our in a museum that Ellen and I have both worked for, where it was a portrait of the family's daughter, and there are tons of stories. This is Matisse, right? It's a um, Yvonne uh, Landsberg, Yvette Landsberg, and there are all these stories about her sitting for him, and then the family didn't like it, and all this kind of stuff. So they're just, and that's kind of what makes art history a little bit more human, and. Rather it's not all of art history. Honestly, a lot of art history is is a lot more boring than that. Um, (laughs) but the context and but even though I love it, I I imagine that it's boring for other people. But um I
1: and I think not having the context often is one of the major barriers for people feeling like they have the ability to access and understand or have any relationship to because
0: we want to know why this Mm -hmm. exists. And I think it's a very uh, kind of human like why does yeah. the Sistine Chapel exist like, yeah, like but, why <laughs> did like the Sistine seal why does it look like this why does this even exist exactly. why did we even bother <laughs> why did we do it um I mean there's still even if we don't have and as I said you know the three four major questions what is this a picture of who made mm-hmm. it when did they do it why did they do it even if we're missing any even three out of four of those answers there's still a lot of interesting things that you can yeah. say and a lot yeah. of interesting yeah. questions you can ask so yeah, I think you just did a fabulous job. Thank Elle. you. Holy cow! <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yo. Thank you. I think you. Uh, we can actually combine the next two questions. Yeah,
1: I think and and actually, so you you kind of touched on that briefly about um, you know um, excessive. I think we we we've, we've briefly touched in a couple different areas, accessibility, mm-hmm. um, the concept of accessibility, and and uh, I think that ties into the next two questions, which I'll kind of combine for you here, which are, uh, can you learn about art history without going to a museum? I'm poor.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's this... a problem like museums, they like because of inflation and funding, which is another thing that we are not gonna get into right now, but it's just,
1: it gets expensive
0: to go visit a museum. Yes, so I really, totally really understand does. this. Um, and then the second part of the question
1: it is, how do I start learning art history? And yeah. where do I begin? I, yeah. I mean, <laughs> of course, a of
0: if, there's so there's so many options and it feels, you know, it, I'm going to tell you some things. And I was writing these things down. I go, well, that's obvious. But then I think, no, it's not, you know, of course, it's not obvious. Um, so of course, my pre- preference is you go take a course, or you go to a museum, that's not an option for everybody. No. Um, there are a lot of museums that are free, actually, mm-hmm. if you have a university nearby, um, and they have an art museum, there's a good chance it's either free or very inexpensive. So just go onto the internet and look around and see You know what's your major university nearby. Um, I can't make any promises on what the collection's gonna be like, but at least it's open access, quote unquote, to a mm-hmm. collection of art. Yeah. Um, and the museums also often have like donation days where it'll be very busy that day, I'll warn you, but you can go in with a nickel mm-hmm. and, and give something and then you have the day how can you learn about art history without going to museums how do you get started well you're already getting started you're listening to our podcast yes. <laughs> congratulations <laughs>
1: we have helped you get started yay
0: um <laughs> but and you know what we live in the beautiful age of the internet so just just milk it dry <laughs> i will say
1: your blanket
0: blanket disclaimer just don't take anything full as gospel anything that <laughs> we say now, yes, we have certain trainings, we have educations, not everything we say is going to be 100% true, because as we know with the study of history, nothing is without nuance, we're mm-hmm. going to mess something up, we're going to say something that's not entirely accurate. So if you go to any online content, and you are confused by something, or you want to hear more about it, fact check them, mm-hmm. right? Right. Yeah, so there are tons of podcasts out there with, about art and art history. We listen to a lot of them. Some of them we love. Some of them we don't love so much, but we have our reasons. Um, TED Talks and special lectures on YouTube. Love TED Talk. Yes, oh my goodness! you can listen to what's his name, Al, Angelo, Umber, Umber, uh, Angelo Alberto or Alberto, Alberto Angelo. Romano. He's an he's an Italian archaeologist and historian, mm-hmm. and I love him so much. His his TED Talk on Pompeii made me cry. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Text, there's also, especially in the age of COVID, there have been a lot of lectures that went virtual and they recorded them and put them on YouTube.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so you can, and those are like legit straight up art historians giving
1: yeah real like professional of, lectures. Um, yeah. So if you're interested in, in museums uh, and, and, and you don't necessarily have the, the money, whatever to go, to go visit. Um, and uh there's a lot of reasons you might not want to go specifically to the museum uh what you can do is a lot of museums are actually digitizing their collections and making them accessible on the website um there's something to be said for experiencing the work in person versus a digital collection um but but if you're just starting to if you're if you're just starting to learn and you just that's Mm -hmm. you know that's where you're at for whatever reason um you know, that's, that's a great way to start exploring, you know, what might interest you, what might, you know, the Google arts
0: and culture app Mm -hmm. is out of this world. Let me just put that in there as well. That's such a good
1: resource. Yeah. It's a, it's a good way to kind of, um, explore where you might want to jump off from, because there is a lot of history, right? Like you don't necessarily Mm -hmm. want to just be like, okay, what was the first artwork ever created? And (laughs) let's go. Like, yes, that's a, that's a big concept.
0: There's a lot of digitization happening. If you go, if you want to read, Mm -hmm. now I would like to move on to reading is kind of be your next. If you can't go to a university class or get to a museum, start reading. And if you can get to the METS website, they have digitized Mm -hmm. their entire publications collection. Like full books are scanned. So you can just read anything that the Metropolitan Museum of Art has ever published (laughs) for the most part. I don't think they have 100% of it yet, but they have a lot of really good stuff. They have the timeline of art history. Mm-hmm. Which is a fabulous resource that I was even using in my graduate work.
1: Um I would also say I think the important thing to start to think of when you're starting out is is there a piece of artwork mm-hmm. in whatever context it is that you have found interesting that has 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 touched you in some way, has yeah. has resonated with you in some way. And if there has what about it resonated with you start start there start thinking yes, start about with
0: a specific artwork or artist that's a fabulous yeah, idea
1: um and and learn about them and figure out what it is about that work or about that artist that really speaks to you and that can kind of help I, I'm a big believer in you know going where your interest lies like you know if 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 this isn't Something that this, especially, especially if this is just an interest for you, like you're just yeah. like, I would like to learn some stuff. You know, go where your interest lies. Like, you can you can pick up bits and pieces from other areas as you go. You don't have to know the whole history of art in order to exactly. appreciate something you're looking at right mm-hmm. here. Yeah.
0: So if you went to the Met and you saw mm, John Singer Sargent's Madame X. Oh, lovely. And you, he's like, I want to know everything about this painting. Who is this for woman? Our, Who is for this our artist? listeners, what does
1: this look like? Can you give a brief description?
0: Oh, great. So it is this fabulous portrait of a woman standing full length. So we see her from head to toe mm-hmm. and she's in um, a very little, not little, like little around her waist, a long black gown. Mm-hmm. And she's just standing there and she's po- posed with her head kind of going over her tilted her to left shoulder. That's yeah, that. tilted to the side. It's a beautiful, beautiful, rather enigmatic, very famous um, work of portraiture. Just to clarify that. Yes, thank you. And Uh she's wearing very, she's very white. She's wearing very 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 heavy white white makeup and it's just a endlessly fascinating portrait. So let's say you got really interested in this portrait when you went to visit the Met. When you get home, just open your computer, go to the Met's website and find this image (laughs) and then you scroll down and there will be all kinds of links to more reading materials, and it's it's just so much fun. You, if you look to go down rabbit holes, yeah. um, you, yeah, the Met or is your or friend. let's
1: say that you are watching an ad. What well, you're watching oh, TV yeah. and an ad comes on and they reference an artwork in there that your interest. All the time. Right, like you don't have to go to a museum in order to see an artwork be referenced. Right, exactly. so if you see a reference. know google even if they didn't obviously tell you the title of the work so you're like i don't know who did this i don't know this type into google or whatever your favorite search engine is you know stars in the skies with swirls right like that one will come up (laughs) (laughs) because i just described starry night by vanguard but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> people can find that one people can find that one pretty most easy. famous painting yeah one of, one of the most famous paintings out there but um but yeah no like it, describe what it is and it might take a little searching because not everything's going to be a world famous work of art but if they're referencing it it probably is well enough known that they're expecting people to kind of pick up on those references and be able to kind of take it from yeah. there um so even if you don't know what it is, you you have the ability to kind of do a little research, do a little search detective work and kind of figure out where that what that work you can be. You can use the skills of an art historian and discover information for yourself about what that is and, and then take it from there and see, okay, I liked this about this. I'm gonna look for more works that fit X, you know? And so you can kind of start looking into, I wanna know more about post-impressionist painters because I really like Van Gogh's Starry Night and I want to know if there's any other cool stuff out there that kind of thing and you can literally
0: just google Vincent Van Gogh Mm -hmm. and especially if it's an artist like Vincent Van Gogh you'll find all kinds of all kinds of things um so if you are interested in in reading and like me you are a books person I have just a couple of suggestions um where you could find some more reading material and then we can move on um if you have a local library or even a university library that you can get access to, they, especially if it's a university library, mm-hmm. they'll probably have a half decent art and art history collection. Um, and you can probably search their catalog or just speak to a, circ- a person at the circulation desk. Um, and if you'd like to purchase some books, art books are notoriously get very expensive. Yes. Um, mostly, and it's because of printing images, if you, especially when you get them high quality in color, that's probably why they're expensive. Um, but you can find good. Uh, I found most of my really good art books, like my central things that I use all the time as an art historian. I get them on thrift books and Better World Books. So you get them secondhand. Um, and with Better World Books, it also they also um, donate to fund uh, world literacy efforts, which is which is great. And then um, Google Books, they'll often have, or the Internet Archive will have digitized things. So. Um, yeah, and there's always a ton of stuff made on YouTube. There are um, TikToks and Instagram accounts, but I always I plead for caution, especially with art history TikTok. Yeah. All of my respect paid to the people who make art history TikToks. I will do, I will make my opinions more clear later, but please take everything they say with a grain of salt because they only have 60 seconds. They do only have 60 seconds.
1: Um, they have 60 so seconds. The, the other thing I would I would say is that um, a lot of artists not not some of your lesser known but a lot of artists out there there have been documentaries made there have been um, you know various films you can watch um, and and take some of those with a grain of salt as well because you know artistic license in terms of of making a film Um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't still wonderful resources out there that are visual If, if you're not a big book book person um, there are still ways to, to access uh, information um, from, a, from other sources.
0: I think we kind of got into what skills mm-hmm. do you need to be an art mm-hmm. historian? I think we kind of got into that.
1: Yeah.
0: I think, okay, I so kind of I will, um, and we got into how to, historian but just to, how sum to sum quick, yeah. just to sum that up real quick,
1: just to sum that up real quick, what skills do you need? You, you need uh, an interest. <laughs> you need uh,
0: a passion. Need, I would say beyond, yeah, yeah, you need a
1: passion,
0: You know, if you want to go the dedication. full, full-blown you need more than just I like this to be perfectly brutally honest with yeah. you you know it needs to be a, if you want to go and get a degree it has to be I love it I've had a, <laughs> a of passion it has to be it has to be there or you'll just
1: yeah you'll start you'll start hitting it because you're like you why how am I looking at this anymore um Anyway, so the other the other side of that coin though is um, that you need critical thinking skills. You need mm-hmm. the ability to um, look at something and and analyze it, um, and those are skills that are developed through study. Like that's that's the whole point of the study, right? It's we don't expect you to like come in day one and know exactly how to do that stuff. That's not how that works. But you need you need the ability to to read um, and and think critically. You need to be able to look at something and think critically. Um, you need to you're have other
0: languages you yeah have a the, second language
1: yeah that actually happened to me in undergrad so i had been studying sign language um as my other language and um i transferred schools i transferred uh focuses i, I switched to art history and they said i'm sorry you're gonna have to go study a different foreign language you're gonna have to, to do a spoken foreign language and I got really up in arms and um, had a like, big, I was like, sign language is a foreign language. It will allow me to, to communicate with people about art. Um, and I, being a young person studying, didn't have the ability to argue what I really wanted to argue. Um, but their point and the reason that they said and felt that I needed to, to do a spoken foreign language was that if I was to continue studying art history as I went out, I would need to be able to read documents in the language of the time period that I uh, had focused on. And my feelings and what I would have expressed was that I can use American Sign Language to teach and to communicate and to give access to these artworks. And that's because that was the path that I saw myself on. But, but the school felt, and I switched to French, um in order to get my degree that I needed to be able to read a different language so that I could read documents about the artworks and other written works about the artworks
0: all right okay Elle I think I have just one final question for you today Ooh, final okay, question. it's, it's okay. a big question and you're gonna love it <laughs> hit me with it oh okay here we go so what will art historians in the future do with the digital works that are produced today? Oof. We're getting in the DeLorean. We are. And we're we going are. off. We're gonna hit uh, 88 miles per hour.
1: <laughs> and we're gonna go into the future. All right, so I'm, I'm gonna answer this in, in a couple parts. We'll put it that way. Um, because it is, it's a big question. Um, yeah, there's there are
0: layers to this. This is one of those uh, solicited questions. I think one of our friends actually wrote this question, which is very, very interesting. And it's not anything I had
1: really considered before. Um, That's fair. It's an excellent question. I got really excited when I saw this question. Um, And uh, a big reason for that is, um, well, I'll give you the short answer first. The really short, concise answer. You ready for it? Yes. We don't know. The situation is to think of a big ship like the Titanic I'm not talking about sinking Titanic I'm talking about the size and capacity right level right um and museums are institutions they are massive they come with a wide variety of expectations and both, you know, from the public as well as internally, right, um, what, it, what you have to meet certain criteria in order to be considered an accredited museum, et cetera. Um, so the reason I bring up ships is because when you have something that is as large as a ship, a lot of things have to take place in order for a small change to happen right? So let's say, let's go with the Titanic, that um, you have someone v- like looking out for icebergs. Mm-hmm. They spot the iceberg, right? Mm-hmm. They have to then get that message down through the line of people who then get it to the captain, right? And yes. so that takes a while to, mm-hmm. to get to the person, to get to the captain. And then the captain has to make the command turn the vessel, right? right? No one can turn the ship or make any changes unless the captain says, move the ship, right? Right. Right. So then all of the people involved in making that turn happen have to do all of their different jobs and roles in order to even do a slight correction of the the range of the ship. And I think the reason I chose the Titanic is that it was a large vessel that doesn't have like modern day technology on it, right? It, it doesn't yes. have... So you can, you can do that a little bit easier now, but like back in the day, big, big ship, it took a lot of different components to make a small, even a slight correction in, um, in the, the wake, Yeah, in the course, thank you. Um, so once you have all of these different people running around doing their different parts to make that slight correction, the ship then will start to make the correction but you have the front of the boat will start the move while the back of the boat still doesn't know anything's happening. Right. Yeah, so. Mm -hmm. This (laughs) is a very
0: good analogy.
1: Thank you. You're welcome.
0: So
1: So museums are the same way, right? Like someone Mm -hmm. can spot something that's really cool and amazing and is changing in the art world and they can say, hey guys, this is an awesome thing but that information then has to travel up the chain of command to get to people who can authorize things. Yes, And, and that authorization then has to filter throughout the museum, but also the, it, it's not just one specific museum. Like a, a museum itself can make a change, but for the community as a whole to make a change and acknowledge something, that's an even longer process, right? Yes. So you'll get little tiny corrections starting to get you towards the new destination and and the direction you want to go in, but the back of the ship still doesn't necessarily know what's going on, and it takes a long time for change to happen.
0: Right, and I like your example and your analogy of an old ship like the Tectanec without S- super modern technology because art museums and in my experience and I I don't know if you'll agree with me about this but they kind <laughs> of tend to be old-fashioned conservative institutions.
1: Yeah, it's and it's hard to jump into change. It's true and sometimes
0: museums can really surprise you. Sometimes museums do really unexpected and progressive and wonderful things or the opposite of that. Um, but in general, these are, the cogs are very slow turning. Um, we love art museums. Obviously we're not going (laughs) to pretend like we don't, um, we're just trying to (laughs) share our experiences and recognize what these, what this field is, is is sort of like, and change happens and we're seeing change actively happen in Mm -hmm. huge institutions across the country, but it's going to be
1: slow. Yes. And we'll that in a bit. Yeah. So, so change is difficult, Mm -hmm. um, but, but it is happening and, and the public aren't always aware of all of the, you know, a passenger on the ship does not know all of the things going on, on the ship in order to make that change happen, or even like that, a notice of change is happening. So they may go, wait a second, I see an iceberg. Why aren't we doing anything? Mm -hmm. But. At the same time, so much is going on behind the scenes that other people aren't aware of. So there's And there's that, that could
0: even be people who work in different departments mm-hmm. in the art museum. Yeah. They don't know what's happening. If I, when I worked in visitor services, I didn't know what was happening in European painting. Exactly. And did the people in European painting know what was happening in visitor services? No, I can tell you decidedly that they
1: did not know. Right. <laughs> um, and communication when you have large situations like that can be one of the most challenging aspects of, of the larger community. You're all Mm -hmm. working towards the same goal, but you don't necessarily have the, the ability even in some Mm -hmm. capacities to facilitate communication across Mm -hmm. the board, That right? Like you have, you know, heads of offices and whatnot going and having meetings together. So the head of visitor services may have a meeting with the head of European art, but that doesn't mean that, you know, everybody else gets the messages of sure. what other people are doing. Yeah.
0: So um, how does this anyway, relate then to uh, digital art, the digital art that's being produced at the moment?
1: So I have a question for you within this question. Are you ready for, for this Christine?
0: For moi? Yes. For you. I'm actually not prepared. So <laughs>
1: I'm excited.
0: I didn't know this was coming. <laughs>
1: thought uh, I should not prefer for this but so Christine um what do art historians do with non-digital art with non-digital art with non-digital art like physical
0: objects mm, sure yeah okay um let me just do a quick survey of all of the art objects on the globe <laughs> okay in your so right, yeah. they are in general mm-hmm Art objects, physical objects, so items of clothing, paintings, sculptures, photographs, drawings, lamps, Mm -hmm. they are usually either housed and cared for in an art museum Mm -hmm. or a different kind of museum, not necessarily an entire art museum. Right. They could be in any kind of other museum or they are in a private collection, which means mm-hmm. some private individual owns it and enjoys it uh, for their eyes only. And it is not available to um, anybody oh. who they don't, they don't know or they don't grant permission right. to be allowed into, into um, their home for the most part. <laughs> uh, and then there's a lot of art that we don't know where it is
1: that's fair that's where it has
0: been destroyed unfortunately yes. um does that answer your question
1: yeah i but but that's that's a part of it but i, yes. I think the other part of it is they they have it in in the museum or, or other context mm-hmm. um, what do they then do, do with that like oh what-, what do
0: they do with it so they uh, yeah. oversee its care so they make sure that it's in good condition that it's clean that it's right. being held up that the it is displayed in such a way that does not endanger its longevity and they study it closely physically with their eyes and sometimes with uh, technology right and they read about it and they write about it and then they hang it on a wall or put it in a case
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah right Um, and say look at
0: this thing isn't it wonderful
1: (laughs) so generally basically they they work on understanding it to the best of their their ability and sharing That information with yeah. other people. They work. They make sure pers-
0: it's uh, safe and they yeah. ask questions about
1: it and yeah. they show and it they, to they, people. They try to give as much accessibility to it as they can, sure. um, etc. Right? Yeah, um so that's the, the general overview idea. Yeah. So another layer to the question of of um, what will they do with the digital art that is being produced today, they're probably gonna do roughly the same thing. Uh, it just might drive.
0: look a little different. So rather than, okay, I actually have this drawing by Picasso in mm-hmm. front of me on a piece of paper. It's, I, I have, I don't know, how, whatever, in other, whatever form that it is stored, a flash drive, a disc or yeah. something like that, right? So the way yeah. it's preserved just looks a little bit different.
1: So yeah, the the methods of storage and preservation, the methods of accessibility, the methods of study may be different from uh, the way you would preserve and and handle a physical object. Um, But in general, like I I don't see um, the ship, of art historians changing anything in terms of like their goals in general uh in terms of digital art being created today um right but a- another reason that the answer my, my short answers we don't know yet is that technology is changing so much so quickly still that um museums are and art historians are still trying to figure out Uh, how to preserve and what that looks like and they're still developing the tools and the methodology to figure out what they might want to do with that Um, but they're also slowly um, looking into the possibility of how does digital affect their ability to to do their job to physical objects right so they're exploring um, that avenue and so a lot just about any art museum you can Get online and go to their website these days has at least the start of their collection being turned into digital. Um, so, digital representations right. of their physical objects are then being made accessible to people via their website or mm-hmm. other capacities, um, which is really cool. Digital gives us a lot of sure. fun, fun ways to explore in terms of they that. Call but
0: that, um, digitizing their collection. So Mm -hmm. just to start, you know, since we're interested in sharing vocabulary here, if you come across an institution saying we're work actively working on digitizing our collection. That's what that means it means we're making a concerted effort to make our collection available to you on a digital platform so publishing digitized representations of our our artworks and it's often really really good like it's getting really really good. with with the image is really great and you can zoom in and see details and there'll be a ton of information published alongside the, the digital image.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Which I love because when I was in uh, with COVID, I went I went almost a solid year without stepping into an art museum, which was difficult. But the online availability uh, resources I should say actually Uh, the the availability of online resources while it didn't replace the experience did kind Mm -hmm. of supplement me for a little while (laughs) no for sure I I live (laughs) off coffee and art and uh... (laughs) (laughs) one of those two things wasn't available
1: solid food groups there
0: (laughs) yeah I yeah I could live off art alone No, that's not true. I need coffee. I can't let you know. It was a difficult 2020.
1: (laughs) At least some hydration in the coffee. (laughs) I mean, I used water
0: to make my coffee.
1: (laughs) Water is somewhere in this process. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Anyway, back on time. Um, So um, museums are also um, at the same time art art historians, um, are also at the same time, uh, you know, exploring what digital art looks like and what Mm -hmm. that means and, um, what can be done with digital capacities. And, um, you know, so there's a lot of really exciting, cool stuff starting to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and we just, we don't know what that's going to look like. Um, and how that's gonna affect things because it's still even though we've had a lot of technologies for quite a while that were that are being used now like artists explore things in new ways all the time and, sure. and so um a lot of what art historians do are reactionary to what other people are doing um and a, a really good resource if you're curious if you're just kind of like what the heck would a museum even do with digital art what digital art is there that kind of thing um i would like to point you to an article you can find online um that was uh written by uh marie Chatel. if i mispronounce that marie i'm really sorry uh, <laughs> but it's C H A T E L, um and uh it's called 18 Museums Boosting the Scene of Digital Art, all over the world. 18 different museums um, with a wide variety of different explorations into what digital art looks like, what that means. Right. Um. And and I think that's something that a lot of people don't know is that museums actually commission artworks a lot of times. Um, that's true. Uh, especially in uh, from you know cutting edge stuff that they're trying to expand. Um, their base of. Uh, the Philadelphia Museum of Art, for example, has uh, their contemporary branch and um, they, they, they have c- commissioned several digital works and, and did an entire exhibition uh, around what the future looks like in terms of technology. That and, was a very
0: interesting uh, exhibition, especially coming, like I was saying, these old school museums and the Philadelphia Museum of Art continues to be kind of an old school kind of museum but then they do these mm-hmm. very exciting and very interesting projects and if you can get onto the PMA's website philamuseum.org and go into the tab that's past exhibitions you can see some images reproduced from that exhibition and it was incredibly interesting because I had never seen an exhibition like that and mm-hmm. I go to museums and museum exhibitions all the time and I was totally blown away. I think I went back three times because it was just incredible.
1: It changed throughout the, the run. It of did. That. The like,
0: innovation what... in the display and in the exhibition design and in the types of works explored and just the topic of it the name of the museum the excuse me not the museum the name of the exhibition is designs for different futures so if you are interested and you go to fillamuseum.org and
1: into their past exhibitions you're looking for designs for different futures besides that that exhibit which is just one example um I, I want it to I want people to understand that even even places that you wouldn't think that they would explore digital actually really are embracing what digital do in terms of accessibility in terms of um you know what it can do for for an exhibit in and of itself Mm -hmm. um and Anna and I both uh had our cruise director and I both had The amazing experience of getting to go to Hampton Court Palace in London.
0: Oh, that's a place I've never been, and I've been dying to go. So please tell me. Oh goodness, I'm so jealous.
1: It's it's, yeah. So like, (laughs) I'm getting. Could you give us just
0: a couple of words about what Hampton Court Palace is?
1: Oh, okay. So Hampton Court Palace is one of one of the royal family's palaces it's not currently in use in terms of their ability to of live england. there
0: the royal yeah. family of england royal
1: yeah. england, family of england sorry england's my other country i'm a dual city. right um, yeah but so i like it's that that's my that's that's
0: yeah, that's great that's why um, there are two of us because we yes. catch
1: this <laughs> we catch those things right uh right so um england um the monarchy uh, owns many properties Um, and well I think at this point (laughs) I think anyway Hampton Court was one of the palaces that King Henry VIII had one of the things they really do is embrace their history that is what they have to to teach you right like um, in your experience there and they they have deep dived into um, what they have as their collection, and they are actually doing some really very cool stuff, exploring um, ways that that uh, using digital um, using digital technologies, they can um, or just using technology in general, they can. Um, give you a different kind of experience, a more immersive experience in some ways. Um, Actually, one of my favorite parts of it, one of our favorite parts of it was that um, they gave you a little card that was scratch and sniff. They were experimenting with, like you would go through the different rooms and um, it would be like in this room scratch, the map, yes, it was the, the the way they they redid their map so that it had this little scratch and sniff, um, and so like you'd go into a room with a big fireplace and like it would be like scratch this one or whatever, and and then you'd get this like really smoky smell um, of like a wood burning fire kind of thing going on, and and it it, di- it was a really interesting way yeah. to like, but um but I I did a little digging in in prepping for this question and we'll, we'll make sure to share this, um, on social media and stuff. So people will have access to this video. Um, so one of the exhibits and one of the ways that they use technology in a really interesting way was, so something we need to understand about, um, costume and textile, anything, anything that is made out of fabric or cloth, for example, um, has, a time limit shall we say on how often and how long i mean all works of art are given time limits but that's something we can um explain later being exposed to light um the weight of of hanging um Mm -hmm. and being on display there's a lot of things that um by giving people access to seeing uh costumes and textiles it it um limits the amount of time and life that it has in in its usage um, right. And so um, Hampton Court uh, has a, a lovely collection of, of costume and textiles, but instead of shortening the life of some of their collection and displaying it, they decided to try something a little bit new. Um, and so the video that I'm, I'm going to ask you to push play on here in a hot second, but they had someone make just these very plain white Um, dresses. And and I don't mean plain in terms of like frills and stuff. Like it's very much made in the time period. It's made Mm -hmm. to proportion. It's made accurately. But what I mean by plain is it's it's made literally out of blank white. There's no pattern. There's no texture. It was just supposed to be basically a canvas. Okay. Um, That they then uh, choreographed almost like a dance a projection of different uh fabrics onto and patterns and colors onto these different um the the these different pieces uh they had both men and women okay. uh, outfits on display and they set it to music and it became almost an interactive dance so that you were like coming into uh life in the court this clip is is a clip from uh from that display but what what really struck me about this experience was um this was a very I mean because you had the music you had the lighting Mm -hmm. it was a very immersive experience and and it really did almost feel like you were in the middle of uh a performance and potentially a dance um that that was taking taking part and um You know, so there's, there's lots of little ways that even institutions that we don't think, like, why would you think Hampton Court would be doing something like this, right? Like, it's, Mm -hmm. um, very much focused on, uh, you know, preserving the grounds and, and giving access, et cetera, Mm -hmm. um, as, as its mission, but it also, you know, wants people to, to have a chance to, to experience something differently. And so they are, they are actually, um, doing some really cool, fun things. Yeah. That, that you don't expect. To That's kind amazing. Of, there are a lot of, of really cool, interesting things in the works. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely something that like digital s- is not going away. Technologies are still constantly changing and we have a lot of really cool potential things ahead of us. So, Absolutely. Uh, you know, look for it, right? Like if there's yeah. something you're interested in, I guarantee you that there is You know that there's something going on um Mm -hmm. somewhere with people you know working towards figuring out what can be done with that sure Um, so yeah explore people yes thank you for joining us for today's conversation join us again next time when we discuss why is art scary where we explore what is it about art that seems unapproachable or inaccessible we're going to dive into jargon and accessibility and a lot of cool stuff. If you'd like to get more involved with It's Just Art, you can follow us on Instagram and or Facebook at It's Just Art Podcast. Remember to like, follow, and review this podcast on your platform of choice. We look forward to hearing from you. Once again, my name is Elle Claus. My name is Christine Staten. And remember it's just art. Until next time.